Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome back to Mad Get Radio, the show where we chat shit about Ninth Age and make a few penis jokes along the way. After a lockdown, real life work slash moving house slash other issues, uh, enforced hiatus, we are back and it is good to be back. And as always, I'm joined by the man who is the Fred to my George. He's the Mac to my cheese and he's the Cheech to my Chong. It's Paul. How the fuck are you? Hey guys, we're not dead. Woohoo! <laughs> That's maybe a little bit morbid, given the. Uh, yeah, that was maybe poor taste, Paul. The the global situation right now, but um, yeah, we're still here. We've just been um, extended hiatus. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It has been a bit of an extended hiatus, and we, we will discuss the reasons behind that and uh, what we've been doing. Uh, none of none of it's particularly interesting, to be completely no, honest with you. Um, but. We feel that maybe you deserve to know why we've been slacking off so badly and why in our absence we've allowed the Paired Weapons podcasts to actually catch up in the same amount of episodes that we've put out over, what, two years? And they've done it in like six months? Well, I, I mean, it's a question of um, quality over quantity. Well, one, one would think, wouldn't they? <laughs> um, so we've got all that interesting stuff to cover in the show. But Paul, what are we talking about today? Um, so we'll do a little general kind of... Hi everyone, let's talk about what the fuck we've been doing, um, but I guess the kind of juicy, exciting part of the episode, we're going to be revealing some of the new Dreadelf LAD, uh, specifically chatting about the core section. Um, so obviously this is part of the whole rollout of the different podcasts and the, the, the kind of series for building the hype and talking about the latest release, so we have been tasked with specifically chatting about core um because we're the backbone of the community engagement team i see what they did there it was nice it was subtle yeah i mean you might think oh core that's not very interesting but actually there's some there's some interesting new bits and bobs in the book so that's quite a good bit to talk about yeah i did initially think that we got fucked over (laughs) <laughs> and I don't want to point fingers, but a certain Henry P. Miller was in charge of divvying up the agenda. And I did feel that maybe Madget Radio got, maybe got stuck with core, you know, or oh, boring Madget Radio, give them the core. Can but you, actually, <laughs> actually, there's some saucy bits in this. Did you um, can, yeah. happen to remember what any of the other podcasts has got? I know that uh, Matt and Kev on Paired Weapons Podcast have got character mounts and the monsters. Character mounts and monsters. And monsters, yeah. I thought it was just going to be character mounts, and that would have been really funny. But it's not. <laughs> it's character mounts and monsters. <laughs> um, Henry and Amartime are doing a background review. I mean, by the time you guys are listening to this, um, you'll know exactly what's going on. Uh, you'll actually know more than we know at any point ever, really. Um, so over the next few days, at the time of the recording, um, a full schedule is going to be released. And basically... I mean, you guys will all be aware of this. This episode should be coming out on the 6th of December. So if you're listening to this afterwards, we've missed the boat a little bit, and we're sorry. Um, 
but the idea is is that every day there'll be a little bit of a sneak peek as to the, the dread of books so uh like paul said the um the different podcasts are going to be covering different angles there's going to be some battle reports um which look really really cool a bit of background fluff um and then the the creme de la creme is on the 10th of december maybe maybe that's wrong you, you, no, you'll be able to know yeah we'll, we'll say 10th of december yeah, we'll go over that Tenth of December, the the Dread Elf book is coming out. Um, it's been dubbed DE Day. I mean, poor taste as well. And that was Henry as well. So you can channel all complaints to Armor Time Podcast. Um, and yeah, so when the on the tenth, what we will be doing as well as as most other podcasts, is we will be releasing a full Army book review. And we've uh, we've assembled a team. I won't say it's a crack team, but we've assembled a team to uh, assess the. It runs uh, crack. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's very cool. We're getting um, Fraz on, and we're getting the lovely Monroe to come on and discuss the Dreadoff book. And both of them are obviously longtime Dreadoff players. And Fraz has also been involved in the play testing, as has Paul. So that will be really cool and really interesting. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> yeah. <you're> otherwise, <laughs> might be bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. I like it when they do these kind of staggered release. They did it, was it two years ago? They did a kind of um, advent calendar thing? Yeah, they usually fuck it up, to be fair. Um, the the coordination has never been particularly great, but I think because like the uh, the, the team doing like the army book and stuff, they're obviously very focused on the product. So it's kind of always a last minute thought, like, oh, we better build some hype. Um, the the advent calendar that was Blondebeard that did that and that was really good. Um, mm-hmm. But like we didn't like for demons and even like ID was a bit better. But like ID, it was like what, what was it like five days before the the book release? They were like, oh, here's the book, review it for us, please. Yeah, it seemed to only be it, it wasn't coordinated to this level. Yeah, and it was only really a couple of content providers that I think did anything. Um, but it's, it's a good idea. When they manage to do it, I think it's nice. Um, totally, yeah. It, it does build the hype really well. Yeah, it's um, Charles from Evershade Gaming is new head of community engagement, and he is very much on the ball uh, for the Dread Elf book release. So thank you very much, Charles. And um, yeah, so I hope you guys are enjoying the, the content when this comes out. Now, if you want to skip ahead to the, the Dread Elf stuff, um, I've got no idea how long we're going to be chatting shit before that. So you can just scroll on by but before we get there um let's just have a, a bit of a catch-up what's been happening paul what has been happening so what has been happening can you can you remember because i sure as hell can um when our last episode actually was released uh i believe it was maybe may okay so i feel like I mean, I guess, like, you know, everyone's sense of time right now is all over the place, just with lockdown, yes. etc. But I feel like at the beginning of the year, certainly springtime, there was we there was quite a lot going on. There was a lot of UB events. Um, we ran our, our campaign, our little trial thing, um, which was really good. Um, there was painting. There was things actually getting painted. It was all looking pretty good. For 2020 and then i don't know what happened but i think june july hit and then just real life took over and still getting the odd game in but you know no painting you know our grand plans for a second campaign with more players and that just didn't happen and 
think just a variety of things got in the way, unfortunately, as life often does. We had such grand plans. And actually, I listened back to the end of the, the last episode to kind of figure out where we were. And uh, we were talking about how we were going to get um, Pelego on to talk about um, the quick starter. We were going to have all these, you know, we we're going to have a campaign episode and just like, oh, we haven't done any of that. We've been really bad. Um, but we do, we, I mean, it's just been busy, right? We've had lots of real life stuff happening. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I started a new job. Um, I'm in the process of moving house. Um, just, you know. Just I'm just it. really lazy. Well, you so, finished your PhD. I did, yeah. So, that, you know. That was a little bit busy. Especially doctors. You're holding up your end now. Damn straight damn straight um so yeah i mean that's like completely life encompassing though when you're doing a phd right i mean especially at the last hurdle it's just a case of getting it done there's no time to do anything else really yeah no it has and then like obviously you were um in the middle of the kind of height of the research period of your job um and then you know new term started so i was inundated with teaching so it's just been really fucking busy. I mean, we have been doing Ninth Age. Um, neither of us have been doing much painting. You, you've been better at the painting than me. Um, I, mean, I have not done any painting since May, maybe. I mean, like I said, you're, you've been better at the painting than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we've been playing. Uh, we've been playing lots of games on UB and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's definitely been good. Um, I guess that'll. Um, lead us that well i guess that is one of the other more recent things we've been doing we had that um 3k event recently when you be that was good we did we did uh, that was a lot of good fun um so for anyone that doesn't know do you want to give a quick synopsis of what we were doing yeah so basically the idea behind it um was really trying to come up with a way whereby we can help support our local um friendly gaming store um which is common ground games this is kind of where the scottish group host all of our tournaments and it's where like Scottish Wildlings are based effectively we would have our, our monthly meetups and stuff and obviously with lockdown you know small independent businesses are under massive pressure so we were trying to think of a way of trying to help support them um, obviously we can't turn up and play as we would normally but we had the idea that what we could do is basically run a kind of small fundraiser um, a one-day tournament on Universal Battles where we have three games in one day at, played at 3,000 points. Partly just um, to help expedite the whole three games in one day aspect. Um, anyone that plays Universal Battle would probably say that games can tend to go on a little bit long just because they're a little bit more relaxed. You know, you can just chat shit and you know, it's, it's pants armor, right? You're sitting around pretty relaxed, having a good time. You're not really in the same kind of rush that you might be if you're playing in person. So I think that's that, a good porn star name. What's that? Pants armor. Pants armor. I mean, that's literally what I was going to call it at one point. Um, what's your because, porno? Well, the porno. And then I thought we could also turn the porno into an idea for an event. Genius. Um, but Look how yes. many uh, signups we'd get. <laughs> that's a really good way to work out who you shouldn't hang around with anyone who signs up to that you're like, oh, just the entire ATC team <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah that, that was basically the idea behind the event so it was really just geared towards a fundraiser and um, 
it was interesting. Like that's really the first time I've played it 3K. Um, I think it was Fraz that suggested it as a way of um, just making it a little bit more manageable on the day. Um, and it's actually a really good idea. It, it totally changes your how you go around list building. And I think when you go back to four and a half thousand points, I think it it helps you see where you can save points and maybe how you can make the most out of that increase in points value. Um, so I think from that perspective, it's actually quite useful. Um, and I know um, there's the Autumn Assault uh, tournament right now, and they've done something similar where you basically have a core 3,000 points, and then you have two variants where you, you add the extra 1,500 points on, but you've got a choice of two, and you choose what that is based upon your opponent every round. So I guess it's kind of similar where you basically have a, a core 3,000 points aspect to the list. And I think it is, like I say, quite good practice um, for developing your list building. So, um, But the event itself was really good. Um, we had quite a good crowd of, I think, 14 players. Um, we had one dropout on the day, so we just had 14 people playing, but um, it seemed to go really well. Um, I was a bit That's worried cool. we were going to crash UB, having that many people dedicated playing three games in one day, because UB is pretty busy anyway these days. Yeah. Um, but it seemed to go quite well. Um, I think it does, making it one day, I think it does capture a little bit of the, the tournament vibe, because you're encouraging more people to kind of chat and interact, whereas anyone that's played any of the UB events, um, you know, they're typically spread over weeks and weeks, where you maybe only play one round every week. And so you're really only talking to your opponent. Um, but using Discord, we had like little drop-in channels and stuff where you could chat to other people during their games and stuff. And it was good. I think it's just another way of guaranteeing hobby time and just keeping everyone in the club kind of connected. And obviously with it being online, you know, we can get people from elsewhere in the UK involved and stuff. So I think it was quite a good idea. It was well received. Um, and we're doing another one in a couple of weeks. So we should have. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was nice just to like catch up with people as well, right? So like, I think you're totally right. The, the, um, the tournaments that have been going on over UB have been great and they've definitely scratched the itch, but it's the, it's the social dynamic that I'm really missing. And as I said to you the other day that um, Jordan and I watched the uh, Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Oh, yeah. The chess one. And she goes to all these chess tournaments and it, like she goes into these like gym halls and there's all the tables set out. I was like, oh, God, I miss tournaments. This is so bad. <laughs> all you need is Barry passed out in the corner and it would just be complete. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I definitely yeah, missed the, the social side. And I think that was really good about the, uh, the scrapyard shuffle or scuffle. Scuffle, um, yeah. Yeah. We've got another one coming up, which will be really good. And a few of the uh, the Durham guys are going to be joining us, which will be cool. Catching up with them. Yeah, no, it'll be good. It's interesting seeing um, the lists coming in and stuff. Um, I think more people are branching out and trying armies that we wouldn't normally play just because it's a little bit more relaxed. And the beauty of UB, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's part of the advantage of playing online. and It's good, I think, as well, just from like a, a way of like developing your own gameplay. It's quite nice to play other army books just because yeah, totally. you can see yeah. the the pros and cons more than you would otherwise. Plus, I think everyone has like those armies that they've always fancied having a go at, but obviously you just don't, you don't have the figures, right? So um, yeah, for sure, it's, gives you a bit of an opportunity. I'm a bit worried that when we go back to actually playing on the table, that I'm not going to be as good as 
how I've learned to play on UB. Because I think there's certain aspects of the game that are easier on UB. Oh, yeah. I think positioning and things like that, right? Yeah. So much easier. Yeah, like, it's not as easy to get caught out with being like, oh, I am I thought I was out of line of sight and I'm not type of yeah. thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. But I'm yeah. uh, looking forward to physical games again. It'll be nice to actually put models on the table. Yeah, hopefully that's not too far away. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's springtime. Hopefully it'll be painted. <laughs> well, your ogre's looking very nice. Oh, Some nice well, I mean, green stuff action going on. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to getting that finished. But I mean, the ones I've, the ones I've done are, are looking good. But I've only got about sixteen ogres done, so <laughs> I'll need to do a few more. Nah, very very nice. It's going to look very cool when it's all together. Um, so I guess we better, well, actually, before we get on to uh, the main topic of the show, um, this is when we would normally take a trip down the salt mine to speak to our dear beloved Martino. Uh, however, Martin is very, very busy just now, and he needs to concentrate his salt for his work life. Um, so what we've done instead, and what you might have seen on Twitter and uh, on the forum, is we've branched out and we've given you lovely listeners the opportunity to write in with uh, your own saltiness, and we were going to discuss it on the show. So that's what we've done. We've selected the topic for this week, and let's head on down to the salt mine. Yeah, baby. It's salt time. So this week uh, on the Salt Mine, we are going to talk about Mick Dick Doc's outrageous claim that 3,000 points is better than 4,500 points. I may have embellished what he said on the forum. What do you um, think? I would say after playing the event, and obviously because of that, we've, we've, we've been playing more warm-up games and stuff, trying to make lists at that point level. I'd say... There are a lot of advantages. Um, for one, just, you know, it's faster to play a game, which is nice. That I would say that's probably one of the downsides of Ninth Age, that it generally does take three to four hours to play one game, compared to a lot of other game systems, where you can be knocking out three or four games at that time. So it is nice to be able to still play a rule set that's that complicated, but not quite as time-consuming. So I think that's nice. Um and like I say, it's nice approaching it from a, a different point of view where you are more limited, so you have to make certain decisions as to what you cut and what you uh, actually want to bring. Um, you know, 1,500 extra points does go a long, long way. Um, so I like that aspect of it. I think on the whole, though, I still prefer 4,500 points. I mean, effectively, that's the point level that the game's been balanced towards. Um, yeah. And you can feel that at 3,000 points, right? Yeah, when you're shopping around, like when you are looking at different armies, you think, oh, maybe I'll try this because I've never done it before. You realise that because you are so limited, certain armies do struggle a little bit more. Um, things like warriors and demons that don't need to worry about discipline to the same extent. Like being able to play wider and be less restricted by discipline bubbles and stuff. When you've got less stuff on the table, I feel like that's a much larger uh, disadvantage than it isn't even normally. So, yeah. while I do enjoy it, and it's it's been really nice for a change, and certainly for for getting people's enthusiasm back in the game, it's quite good. I think just because it's a bit less daunting 
um, than playing at the usual points level. I think, for me personally, I, I think 4,500 points is better, just because that's how the game's been designed towards, and I think you do lose a little bit of something um, playing at 3K. But yeah. it's a, a, valid, a valid question. What do you think? I think it totally works, right? And I think the, the event showed that, that it, it does work pretty well. Um, and it, again, it's, it's nice. It's a nice change. Uh, it was nice um, to go to the event. And I think everyone kind of, because everyone saw it was 3,000 points, everyone kind of cut loose a wee bit. Well, yeah. apart from Matt. Yeah, That's Matt. right, Matt. You think you can be all nice on your podcast and we won't come after you? For your <laughs> yeah, I mean, Matt, Matt did really well. He obviously won the event um, and he did bring... 12 Feldraks and a massive warrior block. No one could fight at 3k <laughs> and basically steamrolled everybody. No, Matt was uh, Matt is always a lovely, lovely gent to play, and uh, he whooped me in the final round to win it. So, <laughs> yeah, that was good to watch. It was well deserved because he whipped you, but just because um, you were also playing a warrior's list. Um, so it was interesting to see how the, the two opposing styles against each other yeah it was funny because he didn't believe me because we as we were deploying i was like matt you've got you've got this just run at me and you'll take me off i promise you and he's like no 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 and he's like <laughs> back off and shit and i was like oh, i'm just gonna fucking charge him and uh and then he decided to play the game and he took me off <laughs> you, should, you should have let him back off and then just used your random movement to fuck off and be like well you're there not- was a yeah there was a part of me that was like please <laughs> run away matt please don't make me fight you <laughs> I really hope the reverse psychology is going to work. Yeah, no, I didn't. I got, I got pumped. Um, but Matt uh, was a very gracious winner, well deserved. And uh, yeah, like the event just was really good. And like the three thousand points, I think was just like, something new and fresh. Um, and I totally get where Michael was coming from in terms of the the time as well, because it is it's so much faster playing at three thousand points. But part of that's because like you've really only got normally. There was actually like a bit of two styles in the lists. I felt like there was lists where. It was basically one combat block, a wizard, and then a couple of like supporting bits. Or there was like the pure MSU where it was kind of lots of stuff running around. Um, and if you were doing the kind of one combat block list, your turns were you were pretty quick. I mean, my list was kind of like that, and I was really only taking you know like five ten minutes to do my entire turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did run quick. Uh, but I do agree. Like I, I still I still prefer four thousand five hundred points. But I think it's mainly because the game. You can really tell, actually, at 3,000 points, the game is meant to be played at 4,500. And uh, there's definitely some armies that scale down better, but there's some armies that, that scale down really badly. Um, and I think there's, I don't think the Undead scale down very well. I don't think Empire scales down very well. Uh, whereas, like you said, Demons and Warriors seem to scale down very well. Yeah. Uh, just because I think it becomes a lot more about raw stats. Um but yeah, no, it was it was really cool, cool to have something different, and I definitely like we're obviously doing it again in a couple of weeks' time, um, and I definitely be up for doing it more in the future. But I still think the the four thousand five hundred points is probably king. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But yeah, no, it's a it's a cool cool idea, and I, I would encourage everyone actually if you if you're kind of thinking about trying it to to have a go because it is fun and it is it is different types of games I felt. Um, because there's there's less units, so you can play really quite wide. Um, and I think that the armies that did well at the event were the armies that could play quite wide. Um, so like the warriors and you know, um, Henry brought Makar 
and did very yeah. well with him. And I think it was just because there was more space for him to do kind of flee and shoot shenanigans and things like that. So um, it's definitely worth a go. And it, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Look forward to the next one. Honourable mentions, I feel, should go out um, to the, some of the other suggestions for the salt mine. Um, it was quite funny. I did feel like it, it was literally just becoming a, a soundboard for people just to complain about shit. Um, well, we are going to talk about them in the future, right? So I've actually I've, I've written them all down. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, so won't, I won't make any spoilers. There's, uh, there's a few good ones in there that will, uh, will break out because I don't know how long Martin's going to be out of commission, not, from the, not going down the mine. So we've got a wee reserve, and thank you to everyone that has already sent them in. And obviously, if you do have anything that you're salty about, uh, do send us an email or grab us on the forum or on Twitter, and we'll be sure to get round to it. Um, but we've probably uh, cock-teased the lovely people long enough, so let's get down to the main topic of the show. Here we go! So, Dread Elves, specifically Dread Elf Core. So the the way we're going to do this, um, Paul, is <laughs> we didn't actually discuss this before the show. Um, we've got basically we've been given kind of a remit of what to cover just now. Now obviously we're going to be doing a full army book review. When you guys are listening to this now, uh, certain reviews will already be out, so you might already know exactly what characters do, but you don't know how they interact with their stuff, etc. So the the kind of remit we've been given is that we can talk about the units in core themselves, and we can talk about the rules which relate to them. And because certain elements will have been released before us. Uh, we'll touch on some of the kind of synergies with things like characters, because characters will be out before uh, this review comes out. Yeah. Also keeping in mind that um, on the 10th, when the, the full book releases, we're going to be releasing a full army book review, so uh, be sure to check that out to hear uh, what shit we talk about the rest of the book. So I think what makes sense is that if we start with the kind of relevant army rules, which we're going to be touching upon, um, and then we'll talk about the armory, uh, because there's there's some changes to things like the repeater crossbow, which are obviously going to be important in core. And then we'll get to the units themselves and we'll kind of go through them in a bit more detail. So, Paolo, do you want to kick us off with the first rule, which is academy training? Okay. I feel like, did you think about this in advance as to who was going to get what rule based on who started? No, but I saw that was probably the biggest, so I, I gave it to you. <laughs> I feel like this this is what kind of happens with the, the Dread Elf book, or one of the other books we did a review for. I should probably like plan more in advance, that's probably was, clear. I have a memory of us talking about something, and it was like none of us wanted to talk about one specific rule. Oh, it was uh, Banner, which, which was really hard to pronounce. And you had set it up so that... I had to deal with it, but then somehow you had to deal with it. Yeah. I don't know how it happened. Because you're smarter than me, Paul. We'll go with that then. It was totally intentional, obviously. <laughs> uh, right, cool, cool. The first universal rule that is going to be affecting core is academy training. So units with more than half of their models with academy training are considered academy trained. So right off the bat, I don't like that, but that's here. <laughs> When calculating combat force, each academy-trained unit engaged in that combat reduces the opponent's rank bonus by negative one to a minimum of zero. In addition, while within eight inches of one or more other non-fleeing friendly academy-trained units, academy-trained units gain devastating charge plus one when declaring a charge until declaring a new charge. 
and they also count as having one additional full rank for the purpose of steadfast and disrupted if they have at least one full rank. So there's a few different things there. With so, Academy. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but the Crib Notes version is for each unit with Academy training, which is most of the kind of like standard elf stuff, right? So like the, the, the core legionnaires, they, they've got Academy training. So for each unit engaged in a combat, you take away minus one from the enemy's rank bonus. Yeah. And then it's kind of like an Empire's Order thing. So if you're within eight inches of a a friendly Academy unit, you get plus one advance on the charge. Yeah. And you count as having one additional full rank. Yeah. So they're the, the kind of three main elements okay. um, to that rule. So quite good. I mean, Certainly, I, I feel yeah. like we should start with the most important issue. Go for it. Shit name. <laughs> Shit name, question mark. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you pointed out something to me that hadn't occurred to me, but now I'm, I'm really finding it difficult not to see when I hear this name. Police Academy. Yeah. And now, if you're in the UK, certainly that's going to resonate with people. I think most people have seen Police Academy. Um, yeah, it's a bit cult, isn't it? So maybe people don't know what that is. Yeah, I guess depending on like where you are in Europe, if you're listening in Europe, you might not understand what that means. But treat yourself. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. <laughs> the Police Academy series. Um, it's comedy gold. Can't go wrong. Yeah. Okay. So there's kind of like a Roman Academy kind of thing going on. Yeah, I think it is. I think there's a a kind of Roman slash Greek element to the book that kind of comes through a lot in in some of the different entries, which is good. But, I mean, all three of those buffs are good. Yeah. Um, certainly from playtesting, the last point about having an additional full rank for the purposes of Steadfast is really good. Because that is just enough to hold. I mean, you're disciplined elf, you're probably going to have a reroll nearby. That is actually really good for getting things stuck in combat. Yeah, and that, that's the one that jumps out, isn't it? Because it, it really... And again, um, you you probably got this listener from listening to the, uh, the other bits and pieces, but there's a, a very strong... MSU, MMU feel to the book. And yeah. this plays really nicely into that. Yeah, a lot of, there, there is a lot of good synergies in the book for combat. And that's obviously the focus of the book, is these are combat elves. Um, I mean, the, the, the plus one advance for charging is, is good as well. Because um, that's where they want to be, is in combat. Um, and even the, the reducing the combat... Um, by one or minus one rank bonus is, is good. So, yeah, solid. And like you say, this does apply to most of the core units in the book. Yeah. So it's it's going to this is a central rule that's going to come up a lot when you're playing the book. Yeah. And again, even the, like the MSU angle on the um, the minus ranks bonus, because normally MSU you want to have at least two units in it any one time fighting. So if you've got two academy units in there in that one combat, you're reducing your opponent's rank bonus by two. And it yeah. doesn't take, you know, a lot to be kind of just eating away at those kind of big blocks that would traditionally be a real issue for um for MSU playstyles. But now they're not getting the rank bonus and you count as basically disrupting them unless yeah. you, you go down below one rank. Um, so it's very tasty. It's there's, very there's another core unit that we'll get to that also factors into that because they have another additional rule. Yes, which, yeah. Which helps. So again, there's 
there's already kind of synergy between a core rule that affects most units and there are other elements within core that factor into this as well. So it's quite yeah. good. Um, okay, so the the second big um, rule which we'll need to cover um, is the hunting bolas. How the fuck did you engineer this? Hunting bolas, this is one sentence. <laughs> Uh, so hunting bolas. Um, <laughs> the idea is that um, so the, the the rule itself is the role for flee distance of enemy units that break from combat while in base contact with one or more models with hunting bolas is subject to minimized role. Yeah. Okay. So this is my pitch for this rule. It's super sexy sauce. However, the naming was a missed opportunity. Go on. It should have been called barbed weapons because it's cooler. And dread elves are, <laughs> okay, and dread elves are spiky. That's a that's a succinct argument. That's yes. that's, that's quite clear to follow. However, the rule itself is both very cool and very good. Yeah. Again, it's rewarding you for getting into combat and actually breaking shit. Um, and it again, it, it does have a degree of flavour to it because you're kind of weaving in the idea of the dread elves as being like kind of reavers um which i like and i mean this this is a similar rule to part of the the frost mammoth rule from the ogre book um because that also does this does it yeah when you break from oh. combat it's a you you roll the, the distance on a minimized roll um in my head i was just thinking why have i never remembered that i'm like oh I'll play on dead Generally, when the Frost Mammoth gets into combat, it doesn't always go very well. <laughs> so no, that's that's probably true. why. Winning combat is is um, less likely with that unit. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's a good rule. Um, it helps guarantees that you're going to get the points for actually breaking shit. It's less likely to get away in rally, which is nice. And, again, it has this kind of element that is kind of reinforcing part of the, the flavour and the, the background for the army, which is nice as well. It kind of rewards the the aggressive play as well, right? It rewards the risk factor and um and kind of trying to break units in one go. Um, yeah, I, and the, the rule itself is it's spread out in such a way that you know this isn't a rule that will that you'll see on most of core. So this is like a kind of specialist rule. So it kind yeah. of encourages you to take different types of units that all kind of work together, which I like. Yeah, there's like uh so like the, the academy rule is kind of like the elite train stuff. Yeah. Um, and and the hunting bow is, is kind of the more the raiding party kind of um you know like the the hunting monster kind of dudes. Yeah. So uh you you'll see that pop up uh, across the reviews uh, because it is throughout the book it's um although there is one of the units in actually two of the units in core which mm-hmm. also have this. Yeah. Um right, do you want to I think the spiciest of all the new rules. Do you want to cover that one? Okay, so we're on to attack attributes. Yes. Okay, so again, I like this because it's it's even shorter than hunting bolas, so I'm taking this one. So this one is ruthless efficiency. So this is a close combat attack attribute. The attack gains plus one to wound during the first round of combat. So pretty, pretty damn good. And am I right in saying that all elves in the book have this? I believe for the most part, if not all of them, will have it. This is this is spicy sauce, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So even your, uh, you know, your 
your rank and file court spear elves will get this. It's very strong. It's very good. And it, it so this this replaces killer instincts, right, from the old yeah. book. And killer yeah. instincts, if I remember right, is you reroll ones to wound. Possibly. Um, uh, yeah, it's something like that. Um, I'm just looking at it just now because I've got both books side by side. Oh, akimbo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was it reroll ones to wound? Yep. Yeah. So this is a huge upgrade. Um, and everyone has it. So, and we'll, yeah. we will we'll come back to this. Just how good this is actually on even stuff like you don't really expect. Um, yeah. and we've both actually play tested against this book so we can maybe talk about uh how this is actually coming to play yeah very very spicy it's um again it kind of reinforces what the book is supposed to be good at yeah just fighting and even things like monsters and stuff these guys should be able to deal with monster mash fairly well yes yes they do i can i can see (laughs) andrew agrees yes um okay so let's uh jump straight into armory yeah. Um, so the first uh, new weapon... Oh, get it up yeah. This is like three lines. I know, I fucked this. <laughs> um, the first new weapon that we need to talk about, uh, because it's going to be really important when we get to the core units themselves, are the Blades of Darag. Now, the Blades of Darag are two-handed uh, close combat weapons, and while using this weapon, the wielder gains plus one attack value and magical attacks. Attacks made with this weapon gain plus one strength for each non-attribute spell with duration one turn, targeting at least one model in the wielder's unit for as long as the spell's effects are applied. This weapon cannot be enchanted with weapon enchantments. So, when I was first told about this, because I played a game against Martin, who's on the playtesting team, uh, and he was like, right, so they've got this weapon, and he told me what they do. I thought, that sounds shit. Don't care about that. <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. It's not. I was very wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's very fucking good. Um, um, yeah, okay. like we'll maybe talk about this in more detail when we we get to the relevant unit within core. Yeah, but yeah. this is really strong. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So this is basically uh, the kind of um, like the religious guys. So so cults aren't a thing. You you've got that from the sneak peeks anymore. The cults have have been relegated from the book. Um, so the the kind of the blade dancer esque kind of units, you know, the, the kind of cult nab stuff. Um, a lot of those units have this weapon, and we'll obviously be coming back to them. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's very good. Um, yeah, we'll talk about motive though as we go. Um, so moving on to the next uh, piece in the armory that affects court are the repeater crossbows. Um, a surprise to no one, a repeater crossbow. It's a shooting weapon. <gasps> um, it's got a range of 18 inches. It's one shot at strength three with AP zero. When shooting from short range, the weapon gains shot three. So believe the basic stat line is slightly different. So it's gone down six inches in range um, from the, the existing repeater crossbow. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, for people who know the book, um, the existing crossbow was two shots at strength three, AP one. So you're kind of sacrificing, um, I guess, more consistent level of shots with AP for the potential to spike and go up to three shots at short range. Which, again, again, the book is all about close combat. And there's a 
an additional rule that affects the troop type within core that makes the unit actually better than just looking at it from a point of damage output. Yeah, I was I was just about to say that. If you take this by itself, it seems very meh. Mm. Um, but keep that in mind as we get yeah. to the core, because there's two units in core which have um, repeater crossbows, um, and they've got a little bit of extra spice to make them actually quite tasty. Um, but losing the AP is a big deal, I feel. Yeah, it is. I guess it's... Um, I guess part of it is reinforcing the fact that these elves are about close combat, yeah. not shooting. And I guess this helps just to differentiate the books, and perhaps when they get to the Highborn Elf book, and, and certainly the Selwyn Elf book, you'd expect that to be the book for shooting. Yeah. Um, so I like the fact that it, the shooting itself appears a little bit meh. Personally, I don't think I think three shots at short range is a little bit much still. It um, can get crazy, right? Because there was a couple games where, like, fucking hell, there was like ten of the the crossbow guys shooting. And it's like, right, okay, that's thirty shots. And you're like, fucking hell, because it doesn't take a lot for those, you know, thirty dice to spike yeah, one way or well, the other. Is... And like, Jesus, that's a lot, of, a lot of DACA. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll touch on this again more when we actually talk about the unit entry, but. The, the minimum size for a repeater crossbow unit or the unit that brings them is 15 models. Yeah. So you're talking 45 shots at close range from one unit. Brutal. And you can bring multiple units. So I, I don't know if that's likely to change. I mean, this was something I can say from a playtesting perspective that there was a lot of back and forth about how to design the, the weapon and the unit. Yeah. Um, and there were a few different points where aspects had been changed. So... I guess they're wanting to see how this plays out by the kind of wider community. Uh, But I won't be surprised if that changes, because I think three shots is too much. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll wait and see. Although the the other thing I wanted to point out here was the range 18 may sound a bit rubbish, um, but the short range 9 inches can actually be really, really powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you get into 9 inches of a unit, you're firing at short range, and you're still going to get your full... Um, stand and shoot against basically everything because there's not a lot of stuff that's movement nine higher. Yeah. So then you're taking, you know, potentially 45 shots to the face again, <laughs> again, yeah. and you know, again, it, like it just takes spikes. So I think the loss of AP is going to be massive, and there are going to be people that feel a bit butt hurt because of that. But mm. um, I think potentially, yeah, this is still quite spicy. Yeah, I mean, it's. You're you're kind of um, I think I'm right in saying like when you guys went to AT- ETC a couple of years ago, there was a kind of philosophy in some of the lists whereby you you look for redundancy. You basically yeah. be throwing as much dice at something as possible because it doesn't matter if the quality is slightly lower, you know shit's going to stick. And I think yeah. yeah if you build your core with these kind of units, you can really dish out a lot of shots, and that is certainly going to do damage against other elves, you know beastmen certain empire units you know there's stuff in the book that's, that still will not like that yeah totally so pretty yeah. Decent. yeah um so the, the last thing that we need to talk about before we get to the units themselves is uh the krakenhide armor um equipment yep. so the krakenhide has changed slightly um now if on foot the wearer gains plus one armor and that's just the flat rule so yeah. just now if you're on foot you get plus two armor with crack and hide and if you're mounted you get plus one so that's that that's definitely a nerf mm-hmm. um but 
the the units which the Kraken hide effects have changed. So I think it's fair to say they've changed in such a way where this isn't as big a nerf as it might feel at, the, at this point in time. Um, but we will obviously get on to them because they are one of the core units which we'll be discussing today. Yep. So on that note, let's just dive straight into core then. So Paolo, do you want to talk us through the um, Dread Legionaries? Dread Legionaries. Okay, so Dread Legionaries. These are 15 middle models minimum. You can add up to 25 additional models for 14 points per model. Um, and then the actual stat line for these guys, I believe, hasn't changed very much. I think it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Um, obviously, you've got Academy trained on this unit. Um, you also get Ruthless Efficiency, so you're getting the plus one to wound in close combat first round. Um, and yeah, you can obviously take uh, Command as normal with a Magical Banner. Uh, so they get, they get Spears and Bill. I don't think they had Spears before. Uh, no, so this is this is a, a bit of a change whereby there aren't um, hand weapon and shield options on these guys anymore. So you, you need to take spears now. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many people are going to be butthurt because you know they've maybe got forty guys painted exclusively to use hand weapon and shield, but. I don't think personally it's a massive problem, but I, I get why people might have an issue with it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I haven't seen. I mean, Dread Elves aren't a particularly popular army, so it's kind of hard to judge. But um, I haven't seen a lot of people use uh, sword and board legionaries. Uh, most of it seems to be spearmen, so I think that's they might get away with that. Yeah, it's not too bad. I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly with the ruthless efficiency rule, having a spear is better. Yeah, absolutely. Because you are getting the the extra AP, um, and obviously being agility five base, you are going to go first if you're charged. So that actually turns them into pretty decent core units. Yeah. Um, but yeah, beyond that, it's pretty much um, as is. Not massively different, if yeah. any. So they've still got like armor shields. They're still yep. going to be five up save. Um, and just now, you know, their minimum size 15, like you said. Um, you can add up to 25 additional models. And the, the starting cost is 200 points uh, yeah. with 14 points per additional model. Now, obviously, the points take everything with a bit of salt. Um, the, the points might have actually changed by the time the full book comes out because I know that they're constantly reviewing the book. Um, and obviously, points are something that change as soon yeah. as books come out. So don't get too attached to that. But um, again you'll get a sense of how things are costed in this book, even by looking at core. And I, I think it's fair to say it pushes you very much into that MMU, MSU kind of mindset. Yeah. I mean, the, um, the the slightly higher point cost, I mean, if you just even take into considering the, the plus one to wound, it, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, these guys are really going to be um, hitting on threes, if not twos, and then wounding on at worst fives. Yeah. So they're like they're pretty decent, like they're all right, and it doesn't yeah. take all it takes is kind of like one little buff off, mm-hmm. and actually they they become quite a solid uh, core combat unit. So yeah, they're good, and obviously you're benefiting from the academy trained rules as well. Yeah. So you're getting 
buffs in terms of just staying in combat for steadfast checks as well. And when you do want to make a charge, you're effectively movement six, providing yeah. you're, you're, you know, you've got your synergy between other academy trained units. So pretty good. I mean, for a, a rank and file core spear unit, I think they're solid. I think they're fine. Yeah. Oh, we should have said as well that uh, core is still at 25%. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, okay, so that's that's the kind of the basic spear legionaries, um, and then the the second unit in core we have the legion auxiliaries. So these are your your crossbow dudes. So they are obviously core, but they also contribute towards the raiders category, which is twenty percent. So that's basically everything that's a shooter in the book. Yeah, I think that's the same as. I think it's the same as before. Yeah. Um, so these guys, it's, you know, it's the same stat line, you know, that movement elf, 510, display, um, offense, defense, four, strength, three, resistance, three, uh, light armor, shield again. So five up save, which is nice. Yeah, Agility your, five. Shield, your shield, you're getting a standard, whereas before you had to pay for it. Yeah. And, Although, and that's a nice yeah, touch. Yeah. The, the starting cost does take that into consideration. They are more expensive, but there are other rules here to get on top of them now. Exactly. So their rules are they get obviously lightning reflexes because they're elves. Um, they get the ruthless efficiency because they're dread elves, and they get march and shoot. So for reasons. For, for for reasons, and they obviously come standard with the repeater crossbow with an aim score of three plus. Yeah, which is good. So um, they also have an additional rule which is called suppressing volley. Now this rule uh, states that at the start of the charge phase, each unengaged non-shaken Legion auxiliary unit with at least one full rank may nominate a single unengaged enemy unit within 18 inches and within line of sight. If so, the Legion auxiliary's unit cannot declare any charges during the charge phase, but until the end of the player turn, the nominated enemy unit suffers minus one to hit against charging academy trained units. Nominating a unit twice from one or more legion auxiliary units does not have a stacking effect. So this is just, it's, it's not a huge rule, but it's a nice little Brucey bonus, right? So um, there's stuff, you know, in the book that has academy trained that isn't just the spearman. And that's the <laughs> kind of stuff that you want to be fighting, right? Yeah. Or you want to have in combat. So it's a nice little um, added bonus to uh, disrupt stand and shoot. Uh, shots from your from your enemy because as as the case just now you are still elves and you're super fragile so any kind of advantage you get into helping your guys get into combat where they're ironically safer uh than when they're actually standing in the middle of the field is a good thing mm -hmm. so what do we think about these guys i think they're better than they are now um you you're basically getting a unit that has, I mean, you've got the potential to be pumping out 45 shots. Um, you've got march and shoot. Okay, you're still going to take the debuff from moving. Um, but, you know, you can still march 10 inches and then shoot and pump out 45 shots, hitting on fours, unless there's cover. Um and then you can stand there and take a charge because then you're going to have parry. And unless they wipe you, you've got an additional rank for steadfast checks. Yep. So it's actually a really nice unit. I mean, you've got to, you can use it for different things. It also scores. Um, I think they're really strong, actually. And yeah. because they synergize with all academy trained units, as you say, there are 
most of the kind of elite things in special are academy trained. Um, the minus one to hit against charging academy trained units that affects combat, right? Yes, it does. I have just clocked that. Right. So, so actually, it's more than a Brucey bonus. It's fucking insane. It's, it's mental. So, because you're also charging with potentially elite elves, it basically means you're probably getting hit on fives. Yeah, that's fucking bananas. Who let this through? <laughs> it's really fucking good. <laughs> yeah. And like, on top of the fact that like they shoot, they can march and shoot. They've yeah. got parry because they've got the shield. Yeah. They get the ruthless efficiency, so they're plus one at wound in the first round. Yeah. Like, so I played a game. Four. I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been a Varkalak went in a unit of 15 of these, and they killed the Varkalak. Yeah. Just because of the plus one at wound. And to be fair, the Varkalak had already taken wounds, but um, I think it was a Varkalak, or it might have been Spawn, actually. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, they're, these are really, really fucking good. Yeah, they are good. So, this is the thing in core. I mean, you're. Okay, they affect the rarer character the category as well, but you're not capped at how many of these you can take. There's no limit. Yeah. So you could run multiple units of 15 and have them synergize if you are running like an MSU um, style list with multiple units of either spear and or elite guys. So not only have you got a fairly decent shooting phase, you're also buffing your combat units. Yeah. So they are really good. So it's 230 points for 15. Yeah. And you can take an additional 10 for 13 points a model, which I don't even think you need. No. You take a musician on them and that's it. Yeah. These guys are really good. Or even a champion. If you, you know, if you want to, you know, challenge shit out for a cowboy. Yeah, just in case someone gets in, yeah. Because I mean, like you're always you're gonna be steadfast, right? In the first round at yeah. least. I mean even if you're two models deep. Like I charged a unit of spears, um a unit of these guys, um I think I was playing Martin with a giant. And I I did just enough to break them and then with like stomps and everything and then we realized, oh but wait, they get the Academy train drills so they stick. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, yeah, you, they're not necessarily as easy to shift with single models either. Yeah, these are these are good. And actually, I could see them kind of... They're definitely, I think it's fair to say, the best core choice. Uh, there's one unit coming up which might rival them. Um, but, yeah, I think these guys are, are going to be a mainstay. In yeah, most, I, think, most I, think, I think you're right. I think these and, and the, one of the next units coming up... I mean, there's not, absolutely nothing wrong with the spear unit, but... Mm. It's just that these are just got that extra something about them. I think there's the cost thing as well, right? So the spears are 200 for 15, and these are 230 for 15, but they just do more. Mm. I mean, so, they're, yeah, they do. They're, they're more all round. They're, they're doing different things. The spears are more limited. Yeah. Albeit slightly better in actual combat, they don't do as much for you as the, the auxiliaries do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So moving on. Moving on. Okay, so the next entry we've got are Raiding Party. Don't know if I like that name. Mm. A little bit ambiguous, but there's a reason for that. Um, So these guys start off at 170 points. You've got 10 models. You can add 
up to an additional 10 models for 14 points per model. Um, they are, again, standard elf, movement 5, march 10, discipline 8, um, offensive, defensive 4, agility 5, one attack as standard. And they come with light armor, they come with hunting bolas, and light troops. Um, and you're getting ruthless efficiency and lightning reflexes as standard because dread elves. Yeah. So the interesting thing with these guys is that's your basic um, statling. On top of that, you can take one of two different optional rules. So, in fact, they're not optional. You need to take one of these. Ignore that. They're compulsory. One of two compulsory <laughs> rules. The opposite of optional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so the first one is Corsairs. Um, the model gains crack and hide, paired weapons, and throwing weapons uh, with an aim score of 4+. plus. In addition, each charging unit with one or more models with Corsairs adds plus one to its side's combat score if fighting in an enemy unit's flank or rear. Um, so this is the, the unit that we were mentioning earlier that um, synergizes with the academy-trained rule, whereby if you've already got an academy-trained unit in combat, if these guys join or if they charge at the same time, both of these things will interact to help you break things just trying to offset combat res. And because you've got the hunting bowlers, you've got a much greater chance of actually catching them when they do break, yep. which is really nice. Um, the, the weapon upgrade they get, obviously the, the two attacks takes, uh, the paired weapons takes them to two attacks, so I think it's skill five, which is quite good. And having a little bit of shooting on them is nice, because chances are you're going to have some of the auxiliaries in the list as well. So you've actually starting to get a, a fair amount of shooting in the list as well, in addition to quite good combat units. Yeah, they do count um, towards the raiders' um, cap as well, though, if they take the Corsair yeah. upgrade. Yeah. yeah, because of throwing weapons, they, they become part of the, the raider category as well. So alternatively, the other option you can take is called Beast Breakers. Again, not completely sold on that name. Um, yeah. Model gains cannot be stomped and a shield, so that's pretty good. At the start of each friendly turn, choose another friendly unit within eight inches of the model's unit. Model parts with harnessed in the chosen unit gain devastating charge, hatred, until the end of the next player turn. So again, this is kind of synergizing with the other aspect of the book, which is um, the kind of the, the bestiary, the, the kind of idea that these guys are into raiding and they utilize different monsters. And these guys offer a really nice synergy um, with that. So quite cool. I like that you've got light troops inbuilt. So regardless of what option you take, it just helps your maneuverability on the table because um, you are effectively... I mean, obviously the light troops is helping the Corsair unit to try and get into flanks and rears a lot more easily. And for the Beast Breakers, it's just helping that maneuverability in and around the units that you want to synergize with. Um, there are... Um, I, I'm not sure who's covering it, but when you get to the, the kind of bestiary side of the book, there are some good options. So people are going to take the Beast Breaker if you're going to run a kind of monster mash style list um, because having hatred on monsters is ridiculous. It's, I mean, is it not only harness stuff though? So is that not only just the raptors? No, it's not. Oh, the, the, the big monsters got harnessed as well? Yeah. <gasps> oh, mama. So that dragon that's kicking about 
I mean, I don't know if we should be. Well, this is this has not been spoiled because this will have already been brought out. But oh, dragons fuck, have harnessed. You're right. They all do have harnessed. Yeah. Oh, that's spicy. So I was actually it, just about to say. Um, I think that the um, the the beast breaker upgrade, it, one, it's free. Like you don't mm-hmm. have to pay any additional points for it, and that's going to see more play than the the corsairs. I don't really see the the point really in the corsairs. And I actually think of all the changes in core, this is the one that's probably going to be the most controversial because um, the, these hunting parties, because the light troops don't have scoring. So mm-hmm. Corsairs always used to be a bit of a mainstay of Dread Elf list because they were kind of just cheap, reliable scoring. Yeah. You'd take like 10-man units of Corsairs. Um, so this is actually quite a big change for at least model collections, I guess. Yeah. I think... Um... Again, like we've already touched on, the book does lend itself to MSU really, really well. And yeah. when people see the full book, though, um, that will come out even more. Um, the thing I like about this is that the fact that they're not scoring just means that you need to rely on it elsewhere. And it, it stops spamming a little bit because you still get units that offer synergy um, in different ways, which is really nice. Um, but you're losing something at the same time. So there's a trade-off, which I think is good. Because I think... Both options lend themselves to different aspects of the game, um, and obviously that's comes at the cost of you need to find your scoring from somewhere else. And to be honest, if you're running multiple units of the crossbow guys and some of the elite stuff, you, you'll still be fine for scoring. I don't think that's something that the book is really going to struggle with. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is this is nice. I like the fact that there is something in core um, that's one entry, but plays differently so it's giving you a little bit of flexibility which is nice yeah conceptually i really like this unit it's just it's cool and there's there's options there and like in in your head you're already thinking and this is i think this is something that the book overall has done really really well uh, which we'll obviously talk about when we do the full book review but it, there's a lot of flavor in it it's quite a straightforward book and book book um in the sense that if you compare it to like warriors and uh id and, and demons mm. it's, it's far more straightforward but there's, there's still quite a lot of flavor in the book which i really like interestingly this i'm pretty sure this entry in the book was is one of the more recent things this wasn't right. something that has been in the book um from the get-go this is um the corsairs were always in the book but i think the beast breaker element is something that was only added relatively recently um so it just goes to show that they are always prepared to like edit and change things in the book if someone has a good idea, yeah. um, which is good. Um, and I think, by and large, the, from the playtesting point of view, I think the dynamic between the task team and the playtesting team has been fairly good in that they, they don't always take into account suggestions, but when you know a good suggestion is put forward, they do listen to it. So Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that later on. Um we have a kind of overall thought so we'll, yeah yeah I'll, I'll pick you back up on that thread oh. um i think the, the beast breakers are like ideal for little bunkers for wizards or even just like 170 points to come on a flank to like boost your your griblies yeah um I, but i almost feel that the points should be the other way around so you should pay to have the beast breakers and get the corsairs free yeah um i mean the the corsairs are a lot more capable in combat and I don't know if that's part of it 
because um, the beast breakers. I mean, if if I was playing against them, a list that has monsters in it um, from this book, I'm assuming there's going to be one or two of the units. Yeah, and just that, as kind of yeah, and they're massively going to help the reliability and the combat output. So these guys actually become quite important for trying to take out before you actually get to that point in the game. Um, so I don't know if that's somehow reflected in the points. Do you know, they actually might be fairly disposable and quite susceptible to be taken off. I mean, these guys don't get Krakenhide like the Corsairs do. Yeah, I mean, they're butt naked, right? So they're going to yes. get... You're running around with a six-up save. Um, and again, this is maybe something that we touch on later, but that's one of the big... Um, weaknesses of the book. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if how much that kind of factored into deciding what um, upgrades should be costed. But again, like you said before, like the, the points could change. I mean, if people are spamming this shit, I dare say they they will start going up in points. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so there's zero to three uh, units per army. That's the only other thing we should probably. Um, yeah. There's no. Uh, um, model cap unless you are taking the Corsairs in which case because you're eating into the Raider category with the yeah. weapons that yeah. might affect how many you can bring but there's no actual you're not limited to like 40 raiding party analysts you could bring um, 60 if you wanted uh, and you can take full command so if you are using them as a bunker you can fire a champion in there Yeah, um, which is no, actually quite, quite nice no magical banner option though yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. important Mm. Um, okay, so next core unit, uh, and rivaling the uh, the crossbow dudes for spiciest entry in core, are the te- uh, Temple Militants. So these guys are 15 models for 265 points. You can get an additional 15 models in the unit for 16 points a pop. Now, their stats are uh, advanced... 5, March 10, Discipline 8, so standard, um, 1 health point, Defensive 3, Resistance 3, Light Armor, and then offensively, they're 1 attack, Offensive 4, Strength 3, AP 0, Agility 5. So just now you're thinking these sound very average elves. Yeah. However, they have Fearless, Frenzy, and Scoring. They've just got Light Armor, but offensively, they have Battle Focus, the Blades of Darag, Fighting Extra Rank, Lightning Reflexes, and Ruthless Efficiency. So, and there's no other no other caps on this unit. Yeah. So I think the this is the the, the, the point to say that these are effectively the replacement for the Blades of Nab. Looking at it on paper, um, basically my conclusion of these two units is they are slightly different in what they're supposed to do. Um, I would say Blades of Nab probably hit better than these guys do but these guys wound stuff better than blades of nab do and i think again that speaks to where they're trying to emphasize the book yeah. and and what they're supposed to be actually really good at but i mean the having the blades on these guys so you're effectively two attacks your your offensive skill four because it's a two-handed weapon as opposed to like a, a paired weapon alternative you're not getting yeah. additional offensive skill buff but Effectively, being plus one to win makes you strength four base. And then when you factor in what the blades are giving you, if you are getting spells off, makes these guys quite scary for monsters. Um, 
again during some playtesting games, I put a Felgic Elder into one of these units, and it got taken off in one round. Yeah, they are really good. Yeah, it doesn't take a lot to make these guys very, very scary, very, very quickly. Um, I had I played against Martin, and he had a unit with. There's a character who synergizes really well with these guys. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called a tem- Temple Legate. Yeah. Um, who you'll have heard about before because the characters will have been released by now. Um, so he obviously, or he she obviously synergizes very well with these guys. And Martin had a unit. Uh, the, the militants with the league getting it and he charged the unit six gassed with a Strigoi monstrous uh, bestial bulk upgrade and he killed me before I swung to a man yeah yeah he had he got two buffs off uh, part of that was me looking at the rule or Martin telling me the rule and like thinking nah nah that's, I'm not really that scared about that um, but combined with the ruthless efficiency even yeah. if they get one buff off and they got strength four. Then toughness five stuff they were doing on fours, and they're hitting pretty well. Mm. It doesn't take a lot for these guys to just mince through monstrous stuff. Yeah. The um, public service announcement. Do not, I repeat, do not allow your opponent to get perception of strength off on this fucking unit. Oh my god. Because you're plus one strength, plus one strength because of the blades, and you're plus one to wound. So your strength six. Mental. Mentals. With battle focus and fighting extra rank. These guys are bananas. Um, I mean, because of the, the magic paths that the, the Dread Elves now have access to, um, they can, I mean, I guess they already had access to most of these, but in terms of last one turn spells, which they can cast on their friendly units, there's quite a lot of options. Yeah, so interestingly, um, I guess... I guess this has been talked about already, so we can we can touch on this, but your master options, there's actually only one of the three paths that synergize with this. Because witchcraft and occultism has no augment spells in it. Yeah. However, the way this these blades work, if you are targeted by an occultism or witchcraft enemy spell you still get the plus one. It yep. doesn't need to be a friendly spell. It can be any spell that lasts a turn. So you need to look at that and think, okay, I can I can do this to them, but is that worth making them plus one strength? Really fucking uh, And on top of that, the Temple League Gate, depending on which upgrades you give him, her, um, either has access to Div or Alchemy, both of which have spells which, yeah, again, that's, synergize. That's the thing. So potentially the magic in this book i think is different from the existing book but it's still very strong yeah it is very strong you i mean if you are bringing a brick of these guys i think it will be very common to see one of the two legates brought with them um and the unit can quite quickly become really fucking scary and at the end of the day this is a core unit yeah so i think these guys are, are very good um, different from Blades and Nab, as I say, I think that the, the Blades and Nab currently they hit better, yeah, because they've got more attacks, better offensive skill, they have poison and they have hatred. Whereas these guys more specialize in wounding. But I mean, you're, you've still got length and reflexes in his base because you're an elf, so chances are you're still going to be hitting shot on threes. The again, this will have been released by now. 
so the the blade dancers, not the blade dancers. What were they called? In Dread Elves. Oh, um, the other sexy ladies. Dancers of Yemen. That's Yemen. So they are they are no more. So they've kind of amalgamated blades of Nab and and Yemen into this unit. So I think a lot of people, a lot of Dread Elf players, I would imagine anyway, look at this and kind of see them as a poor version of the dancers of Yemen because they and the, their biggest weakness is they have no save. So they've got six up armor. So light arms, shooting, pyro, any magic missiles really are going to really take their toll on them. And that's exactly how you beat them. Um, yeah. I know because I haven't played against them with vampires. <laughs> it's, it's a fucking uphill struggle getting rid of them before they get in. Yeah. Um, whereas I played against them with Empire. And uh, Empire had absolutely no issues dealing with these guys, unsurprisingly. So the, the, it's kind of like what you were saying about the, like the give and take. Like these guys are really, really good at what they do, but they're very, very fragile. They're very glass hammer. Yeah, I mean, again, there are things that you can do, and um, because there's synergy with the Temple Legate, and he can also be a BSB, you can just stick Emres three on them or Emres four. Yeah, and that'll help offset at least magical damage. But against uh, gun lines or anything that's got a decent amount of shooting, then yeah, that's a weakness. Um, but then again, when you look at what they can do in terms of combat potential, I think that's, you know, there's, there's going to be some compromise. Um, and the, the other interesting thing is, I mean, I mean, these guys can take a banner enchantment. Yeah. So you can make these guys academy trained if you want. Yeah. Yeah, because so it's a banner that allows you to do that. Yeah. So, you, you know, when you get into combat, you're probably going to go first because you're agility five base, and then even if you don't wipe out what you kill, you know, oh yeah, I did my stand and shoot, so I'm minus one to be hit. Yeah. Oh, and I've I've also got a tempo legate option that also makes me minus one to hit, so I'm minus two to hit in combat with this. Yeah. Fucking bananas! Yeah. Like they're very good, and I and I think realistically there needs to be a clear weakness and that because or else it's just going to be shooting and yeah. to be honest that's the case just now yeah so and it's the case across the book right there's there's yeah. not um i mean there's one or two books uh, sorry one or two entries in the book which have good armor saves but on the whole i mean your elves right so your most of your stuff's toughness three or four shit armor not a lot of special saves cutting about um so you're you are going to you are going to take a punishment if you try and play a range game, but that's why this book isn't about range game. It's all about getting up and you know cutting your opponent up, and there is, which these guys do very well. And there are things here to make you get into combat faster. Yeah. So they are giving you some tools to do that as well. So um, I think yeah, th- these guys are solid. They're they are very good. I, th- I think they're going to be quite popular. Yeah. And again, like you're probably getting the sense of actually how synergistic this book is. And I think this is a, a growing trend within the books that they're releasing. Is that all the books they've released really so far, apart from Warriors and Demons, so that means ID. <laughs> <laughs> all of the four books they've done. That's what we call solid podcast. I am here all day. Um, <laughs> yeah, so from the id book i'll rephrase that it was very synergistic as well 
So I don't know if that maybe I'll backtrack a wee bit and I'll, I'll push the <laughs> the angle a little it's bit. Fine. We, can, we can cut that. We can cut that. No, we, we don't edit on this show. <laughs> um, the book is very synergistic, and I think to get the most out of them, you not only need to obviously bring in the synergies with magic, but they, they synergize really well with other units, like yeah. stuff like like, like a, um, the hunting bowlers. If you can get a unit with the hunting bowlers in with these guys, they hit so hard. There's not a lot of units that'll be able to hold them off. Mm. Especially if you pick your targets right. And then these guys are like just deleting units. Yeah. And I know because I've had them delete units. <laughs> they're they're brutal. I guess the other the, the other massive caveat we should say with these guys is they will struggle against armor. Yeah. Yeah. Um you you know, your AP not base, the ruthless efficiency isn't giving you any additional AP, nor does the, the blades. Um but I mean, there are ways around that as well, though, like Cosmo, Perception, Strength, and Alchemy with Gloria Gold. Yeah, so, and you can bring a Rending Banner if you want. And Rending Banner, yeah. So uh, there, there is ways around it. Obviously, it costs you more points, and you have to design your list a wee bit around it. But, yeah, but again, um, I think what the book as a whole does really well is it, it's, it's good in combat, and it can take high toughness targets. Yeah. It won't really struggle against monsters, because you should be pumping out that much damage that you're going to fail some of the saves. Most monsters only have a 4-plus at best anyway. Yeah. So I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very solid. So we've got one more core unit that we need to talk about, and this is actually a special unit where if you take um, eight models, they, they go into core. So do you want to talk about these guys, Paul? Yeah. Um, so obviously core up until this point has been exclusively infantry, um, which is the kind of main or one of the main focuses of the book is infantry heavy uh, but we come to shadow riders so as you've said these guys are in special but if you take units of eight or more they count towards core so you've kind of got a similar setup like you do the kind of barb cav in the warrior book so these guys start off at 175 points for five models you can add an additional five models for 20 points each and you can take four units per army um, you start off as advanced nine march 18 to split eight um, pretty much an ex same kind of stats as the current um cab from core i believe yeah dark riders yeah yeah um, so some of the differences uh, you get shields as standard which is nice. So you've got a four-up armor off the bat because you're also armor one, which is quite good for a fast cab unit. Mm -hmm. um, you get ruthless efficiency on these guys, um, which is very good. And you also get hunting bullets. Um, and all the other rules that they come with are as they are currently. So you still get Vanguard, you still get Fane Flight, you still get Light Trips. Um, so they've actually... And Lightlands. I don't think they had Lightlands standard before, did they? Or did they? No, they did. They had that. They did have it. Okay. So with Ruthless Efficiency, you're Strength 5 on the charge, AP1. Which, for a light cab unit, that's pretty manoeuvrable. Well, it's effectively Strength 6, right? Um, oh, no, sorry, Strength No, you're right, sorry. So 4, it would go to 5. Yeah, sorry, you're right. Um, and the mount has exactly the same stat line as it is just now. 
Um, you can take repeater crossbows on these guys for five points per model, and they can take full command, but they can't take uh, magical banner. So pretty much the same as the Arjuna. So nice that there is a cab option you, that you can take in core. Yeah. Um, if you want to take a bunker, or if this is just going to be your de facto chaff, um, pretty straightforward. Nothing too exciting, really. Hunting bowlers are nice. I guess the um, the big thing is the the repeater crossbows being five points a model, on top of the fact that you're adding sixty points if you want to take them in core. So they're already two, three, five, um, and then you add another forty points onto that. So they do get quite pricey if you want to give them the bows and take them in core. Yeah, I, I don't know how popular that will be just because the the auxiliaries are already so good. That yeah. I don't, I don't think you really need these guys for additional shooting. Um, I guess, you know, it's still 15 shots at short range. So Yeah, and they're super fast, super manoeuvrable. So it could if they get in behind or alongside units and they're just like, churning out shots um they could, they could be quite nasty but yeah i think i think this might be quite controversial with the dread of community as well just because the uh the dark riders have been such a mainstay in core um like you always see probably two units of dark riders in core it's just because they're, they're so good at what they do just now yeah um, and they are a bit of a crutch to be honest i think um, um that's something that is in the guidelines for the book is that apparently their chaff game shouldn't be particularly great. So not allowing them to take just min-sized units out of core for chaff, I think, has been a... That's not an accident, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to see they can still take them in core, um, mm -hmm. even if it's the, the man unit, because I think there was a point where they couldn't do that. Um, oh, during the, the playtest, and I think I played against one of the guys where it was mentioned. Maybe I'm making that up. Um, well, that that could quite possibly be true. There's been that many iterations. Yeah. Um, I think that is. I think that is true. This might be a relatively recent change, yeah. um, but I think it's a good compromise. Um, because you are. I mean, even eight models. You I mean you can still use them as chaff, but. You know, you're, you're spending that little bit more on them at that point where yeah. it starts becoming a bit of a point sink if you start using them that way, I think. Yeah. I think they, they're very writer-esque now, as in, like, pure fast cav, um, where you don't really want to be throwing them away because I think I'm tempted. To, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Dread Elf players will just be rolling their eyes when I, when I say what I'm about to say. But given a unit of five repeater crossbows, so 20 points takes them up to 195 for five of the, the bows and you use them just to like harry flanks and then emergency chaff yeah um, I, mean, I feel like that's pretty good value but I don't know maybe I mean, it's, it's strength three AP zero shots so yeah they're limited to what they're actually going to be able to do yeah I mean against some other chaff they might be okay but I mean I look at this and I think bunker for a wizard I mean, I guess the the fact that they're they're decent on the charge because they're effectively strength five, yeah, uh, and they have the hunting bows, so you can always like throw them in at a flank, yeah, if you think you're going to win that anyway, just to get the hunting bows um, uh, advantage. Yeah, cheap platforms for cowboys. Yeah, I guess they've got their uses. Um, 
but yeah, I don't think there are they are in the themselves particularly special, but yeah. they're a, they're a utility unit. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear what Munro and uh, Fraz think of them when we do the full army book review. Um, yeah, okay, so that is um, that's your your core sneak peek. Uh, I hope that was thorough enough for everyone, and that uh, you know you found that useful at least uh, amongst our talking shit. So, um, as a kind of final segment, let's talk about kind of overall thoughts of, of core, and then kind of our initial thoughts of the, the Dread Elf book, without giving too much away before our full army book review. So, let's start with core. What are your overall thoughts? Having gone through that, I think I, as, it's hard for me to say because I have seen the whole book what I think of it as a standalone section. Um, my impression is the core section is solid. Um, you've got pretty much all the same options that you do now to degree. Um, and I think in some cases they're a lot better than they are now. Um, without obviously saying what else is in the book, I mean, you can run MMU style lists where you could have two quite big large units out of core um, and that, I think that would be completely viable I mean you would have character support and maybe some other things there but it does work yeah. um, I think the the rules as they've been written and the, the clear intent to make these guys really good in combat I think does come through quite well. Although saying that, my my initial reading of the book was that this is a lot more subtle than like certainly ID. Like when you read ID, yeah, it just comes through like how much there is and what you know how strong they actually are. Whereas I think this is a little bit more subtle. Um, yeah, it doesn't leap off the page the same way that the ID book did. Like, I remember when we first read through the ID book, we were texting each other saying, like, holy shit, how did this get through? Like, <laughs> yeah. testing. The, yeah. This isn't the same kind of animal. Yeah, I think um, I think it is, I think the core section itself is very good. I think the book as a whole, um, I think it will catch some people out with actually how good the book is because it doesn't have that immediate impact that the ID book had and it doesn't have all like the bells and whistles like the demons have and stuff like that like, yeah. um, when you actually see what they're capable of in combat and how all the different synergies work they are really good um, I think it might take certain people a little bit of time to get to grips with it like anything else that's under a book um, I've never played Dread Elves before this, so I don't necessarily know if this new book requires people to play it slightly differently than how they play it now. But from seeing that you've play never played Dread Elves, not before. Um, oh, as in play with the army, not against them. Yeah, yeah, I played yeah, against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I was going to say, how the fuck have you managed that? <laughs> Well, like when we get Monroe on to talk about the book, obviously, like Monroe was always the, the kind of Red Elf player in the club, and yeah. he beat me enough times with Red Elves for me to know that they were always <laughs> good in combat. Tower Guard are good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, like being charged by those Dread Knights with the Banner of Blood, that's not fine. <laughs> that is bad. <laughs> but um, I think I think the book is still strong, and I think Core kind of 
cements that. It gives you a really good platform to build on because you do have these synergies and you you can still build quite capable units. Um, so I think the core section is good and I think they've done a good job on the whole. I have to say I was very pleasantly surprised when I got the book because um, I'd kind of heard through the grapevine that there was there was issues with the book and that it felt a lot more not rushed but it felt like we arrived at a full book much quicker than we had done with the previous books yeah so I kind of worried that they maybe just felt that they had to churn this out to meet a deadline um but when I was reading through it uh, I was really this is the first full army book that we've had that I read the book and I was like oh, this is really cool this is really flavorful like I like the ID book and I like the warriors and I like the, the demons but this has been the first one where I was like thinking about lists when I was reading it for the first time and there's definitely things that jump out at you in the book and you're like oh that that synergizes with that so we could you know you could write a like a monstery hunting party kind of list yeah um which is really cool I really like it do you think and, part of that is because you're an Empire player and because synergy is quite heavily rewarded in this? Yeah, maybe there was an interesting chat on the Empire forum which wasn't public, I'm now thinking. That was a start. We were talking about... Uh, I say we, I was lurking. I was not coming. I was just reading other people. But like, um, there, were, there were certain uh, people who are associated with Empire, people know who I'm talking about, um, and they were talking about was this maybe too much of an encroachment on Empire? Especially with the academy rule, because obviously eight inches supporting units, it's like that's very empire-esque. But uh, I don't think it is. I think it it plays obviously very different to what empire play. And actually, I quite like the synergies. Like I don't know if that's maybe just because you know I, I played empire for so long, mm-hmm. um, and even you know the, the vampires in my other army, they they are still quite synergistic. So I quite like that in in the armies. Um, but yeah, I think subtle is the the best word to describe this book. And I actually really like that it's it's pretty streamlined, as opposed to the ID book and the Demons book, um, because I think this is a very good book off the press in terms of it feels like a, a good, well-rounded army book, mm-hmm. um, and it isn't inundated with rules. It's very straightforward. Yeah, which I like. I, I mean, I would say early on when I read the book, um, more so than how I feel about it now, I felt that they had been quite restrained with how much they had they had put in, certainly mm. after the Dread Elf book had been, uh, after the Infernal Dwarf book had been released. I felt like clearly there's been two massive different approaches with regards to how they treat the complexity budget between both books because yeah. it, it's night and day. But I think they've done enough to make it interesting and still quite effective. Um, It'll be interesting to see if the kind of new book shine wears off and whether it is just that that I'm kind of feeling just now. I don't think it is, to be fair. Um, But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And again, like neither of us are Dread Elf players. Yeah. So it'll be cool to see how they... Well, I say cool. It'll be cool for us because we obviously don't have to face the guillotine if it's badly. (laughs) But... Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I think um, the, the other thing as well that we've kind of touched on at points is there is, despite the book, or certainly the core, and when people see it, the whole book, I think, there is this sense of it's a lot more streamlined. 
Yeah. Um, but it's still flavorful. And certainly when I saw the book originally, I didn't get that impression. I think the, the process from how it started to what it is now, I think there is quite, they've done enough to kind of promote the different themes in the book to where you feel like, oh, I've actually got a kind of a sense as to what this uh, book is about, what this faction is like. Um, so I, I think they've done a good job yeah. in that sense as well. The one thing I'm gutted about is that the cults are gone. Because the cults, from an outside perspective, obviously, because I've never played Dreadhouse, but um, the cults were always the thing that I thought were really cool about Dreadhouse. And I thought they were the one thing that gave the, the book a lot of flavour. Because um, they're almost bloodline-esque, right? Um, and, and they're gone. So when I heard that they cut them, I was very like, oh, this feels like they've shut the bed here. Yeah, I guess, again, like you say, because we're not Dreadhouse, players um i didn't have that reaction at all um, oh, okay just because i've got no connection to the book and to the lore obviously this is this is a different game it's a different book so they're, they're going in their own direction but um i i kind of didn't get that and actually when i think about it i like the fact that they've done that okay not not just from the perspective of they're trying to be original but i kind of feel like maybe i'm I'm saying this as a Warriors player, but like when you think of the Warrior book, the big thing that always, always there was marks and favors. Yeah. And like cults for me is just their version of that. You're doing the same thing, but you're calling it something different. All oh, right. So they, they pissed on your territory. So you've got an axe to grind. Well, I see where this is going. Well, okay. The, I appreciate it. <laughs> the, the version is that they've taken it out, but they've still kept it strong. And they've kind of tapped in and, and given units different buffs and synergies through a different mechanism whereby you're just getting it because it's this whole like academy training idea of these guys basically train to be effective warriors from an, a young age. There's no, um, and the mechanism is different. It's not linked to like religion or a god. It's just their society. Yeah. So I, I like that aspect of it as well. It just feels very different than just we worship this god, so he gives us this. It's like, oh, that's the same. In, it's the same thing they do in another book. Mm. So I, I appreciate that aspect of it that it's more original. Yeah, I should say that despite the fact that I'm a bit gutted that they cut the, the cults, um, it's definitely not lacking for flavour. I, I think you get a good strong sense of what the army is and what it should do and how it should play. Like it's still a flavourful book. And there's yeah. a lot. Of, there's a lot of other units. Obviously, we're looking at core, which although I think core is is very good in the book, it's not particularly the most like impressive or dynamic uh, of the entries in the book. Whereas there's other units later on, which you'll, you'll be hearing about over the course of the sneak peeks, which uh, are very flavorful and very cool. So I, I think there is still that element. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think dynamic is a good word to use because while on paper the core units might not necessarily come across as being super exciting they are still very effective on the table yeah. mechanically they are very strong i think um but yeah there are there are plenty of stuff other units in the book in special and different categories that you will read and instantly be like holy shit that's awesome yeah and um, so the book has still got plenty of that going on so yeah, absolutely um, yeah. So yeah, it'll be um it'll be cool to get uh, Fraser Munro and then they can tell us where we've gone horribly wrong with our core yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Monroe will come of it as someone who's basically played Dread Elves since... For, for millennium. Yeah, he's he's he plays all the different Elven factions and he's played for a long time. So it'll be interesting to get his take on it. And then Fraz is someone that was thinking about picking up Dread Elves as a new army. So he's obviously coming of it from a, a pure Ninth Age perspective who didn't play Eighth. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be two nice contrasting... Um, viewpoints potentially and obviously Fraz is on the playtesting team so he can maybe give a little bit of insight into how the book has changed over the playtesting process and um, how it is actually uh, plays on the table because um, he's played a bunch of games with a variety of different lists and stuff so he'll be a good person to talk to. Yeah that'll be good. Um, so before we wrap up this episode I, I just wanted to ask you actually what it was like playtesting or I know that you, although you're head of playtesting now, you you weren't really hands on in terms of playing lots of games. But what was it like, just the process of kind of overseeing the playtesting for the new army book? I mean, yeah, like obviously this is the first book I've been involved with from a playtesting perspective. Um, I came on just as in between the kind of um, limbo stage between ID being released and then the task team for this book, getting it ready to be wheeled out for playtesting. So, um, like, the process itself is is really straightforward. Like, basically, for people that don't know how it's organised, is you basically have the task team that writes and designs the book. They give the playtesting team that particular version with a variety of different uh, requests, and it might be things like, we don't want you to test this kind of list. We want you to play against this type of list. Um, they might have specific questions about costing and, and how we think certain rules are written and are they clear, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So really, they just use us as a, a signboard to develop the book. And I'd say, for the most part, um, it was pretty smooth sailing. Like I don't think there was really anything major um, in terms of problems with with the process and how the book was done. I mean, there there were certainly things that had to be changed and, and things that were brought up that maybe the task team hadn't necessarily appreciated, but that's the whole point of playtesting. You don't know until you actually play it on the table. Um, I think there's maybe been a couple of points in the book that people have maybe struggled with a little bit more in terms of how they felt the new approach has been taken like i'd say generally speaking the the auxiliary unit from core and trying to get that unit right in terms of having something that synergizes and is good enough to fulfill that role without being too strong of a shooting unit um and trying to get the rules right in terms of how many shots do you give them do you give them march and shoot do you give them quick to fire do you give them ap do you not give them ap like where should they sit in the book i think that's something that's maybe been kind of tricky to get right um but for the most part i don't think there's been certainly from a course perspective much that was particularly troublesome um so but it's been interesting like obviously the playtesting team just now is is made up of about 30 different people. I think it's bigger now than it was when this book was being tested. I think we maybe only had about 20 people most at any one time. And you always get a range of opinions and people having different approaches and stuff like that in the in the 
in the process. So I think there's enough in the book to give people choice, which is good. Um, people were certainly favouring certain units over others and having different um, play styles and stuff, which is good. Um, as we've said, like I think the book itself leans very heavily into MSU, but can do MMU as well. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I, I can't really say that the, the, from my perspective that it felt like the playtesting process was uh, troublesome or, or negative in any way. I think it was it was pretty good, and I'd say for the most part, although ultimately the choices around how the book has been designed are decided upon by the task team because that's their responsibility. For the most part, they were always open to suggestions and feedback and stuff. So even when people disagreed, the process was fairly amiable and stuff. So I think it was quite a a successful um say I'm saying that from a point of ignorance because I've never done it before but I guess we'll find out when we, when we do the new book and it'll actually have like a point of comparison as to how it went but I think it was pretty good don't think there was really any problems any major yeah. anyway yeah cool alrighty so um, any kind of final thoughts regarding Dread Elves just I, I think the book is I think the book is good um I think it's interesting. I like the fact that it's a little bit more maybe elegant than the, the ID book. Um, it's not as rules heavy. Um, it's it's got its it's got its good strengths, but it's also got weaknesses, which is good. Um, so yeah, I think it's maybe a little bit more balanced as well, which is which is nice because I think that's something the ID yeah. book struggled with. I, I think. It, I think anyway. I can't remember the other books being like this, but um, this is the first army book that's been released, and when it was released to staff, th- all the feedback was positive. Mm. There was a couple of people who were like, oh, maybe we should have a look at this, or maybe that should be flagged to this team, blah, blah, blah. But I'm talking page after page on the forums, like rosy reviews and f- initial feedback. Um, and if you compare that to the ID release in particular, where there was folk threatening to kill each other on the forum because it was, it was so divisive. Um, I think this is a massive step forward. Uh, and I'm, I'm really interested to see what, especially the Dread Elf community, make of the book. Yeah. I think I think for the most part, it'll, it'll be well-received. And again, it's, this is going to be alpha release, right? So, yeah, so like obviously nothing's set in stone. And I think, actually, if the um if the previous books have done anything they've kind of shown how amenable uh, the design teams are to change and stuff if people feel that they should be changed so yeah. I mean, get on the forums night and day from what it is now to what it was when it was released in the alpha stage so oh for sure yeah wouldn't, wouldn't worry too much if people think it's not strong enough or doesn't live up to expectations. As I say, I think it is a little bit more subtle when you read it. You need to actually play it and, and see how some of this stuff um, unfolds. Yeah. But we'll go into more of that, I guess, when we do the full book and we can actually talk about some of the other specific synergies with the other different units and characters and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So that's probably a good point to wrap this up on. So we've got a whole host of shows lined up here. So obviously this will be released on the 6th of December. Uh, on the 10th of December is DE Day, 
and uh, we will be releasing a full army book review which will be dropped on that day so you can check that out and get the thoughts of myself paul fraz and monroe on the rest of the dread of book uh, we have the long-awaited interview with Pitlego about the uh, now-renamed Essence of War uh, rules, which is essentially the um, the successor to the, the Quick Starter rule set. We've also got a very cool interview lined up, even though he might not know about it. Uh, we will be getting uh, Grimbold on the podcast to have a chat with us, another member of the exec board and someone who uh, has obviously poured a lot of love into this project. So it'll be really cool to have a chat with him. Uh, and we've got a range of other stuff that she's on the back burner, which we've been meaning to do for the last couple of months, but we will now be getting around to it, hopefully. Yeah, we just need to try and uh, keep on top of being regular again. Get the finger out. Get the fibre. We'll be grand. Yeah. Uh, so that is it for this week. Um, from myself and Paul. <laughs> That's us for this week and potentially this. Uh, <laughs> See you in six months' time. Uh, <laughs> No, we will be, obviously, the full book review will be out very shortly after this one. So please uh, do stay tuned for that. Uh, As always, if you have any questions or comments or you want to let us know what you think of the the Dread of Core, you can get in contact with us on Twitter. Uh, I am at MGR Lost Cause. uh, Or you can also get Paul at Space Goblin 1 or the club at Scottish Wildlings. Uh, Or you can drop us an email on the club um, email address, which is scottishwildlands at gmail.com. And of course, Paul is Space Goblin and I am Lost Cause on the form if you want to drop us a message there. But for tonight, that is all from us and we will catch you in the next one. Bye! See you guys.